When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study and happy Thanksgiving uh, to all of you that uh, may be listening to this uh, as you travel to go see family and friends. And we thank you for being with us today. Uh, The Wednesday Bible study uh, is here most every single Wednesday, very few exceptions. Now we are winding down to end our year in our study of 1 Corinthians. If you want to go ahead and turn uh, to the book of the Bible that we're unpacking right now, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will not get through the entire chapter today. There's no intention to do that because we're winding down to the final few Bible studies of the year. Now, if you kind of want to know our strategy going forward to the veterans uh, that are either in the room, that are watching and or listening, our plan is to finish our last um, session on 1 Corinthians on December the 15th. That'll be our last Bible study of 2021. Uh, Then I will be on vacation for a couple of weeks, and then we'll come back. Uh, and I think it will be January the 5th, maybe, uh, will be that Wednesday that we come back, uh, the first week of January, whatever that first Wednesday is. And, uh, and then we will start a brand new study. Now, a lot of you have been giving me feedback on some things you want me to consider. And, um, Sherry and I, my wife had had a long discussion about it. There's been a, a, a little pressure to do a Bible study on the revelation, but she and I both came to the conclusion that you can't really understand uh, the, the end of it all, if you don't understand the beginning. So, and we may spend, it'll be at least a year. Uh, so we'll start in January and we're going to do a word for word study through the book of Genesis. Uh, we will start back at Genesis and we'll walk through all those incredible, uh, historical biblical moments, uh, that are just chocked full Genesis. So, and I thought she made a good point. You can't really understand the end if you don't understand the beginning. Uh, and so we will start our study of the book of Genesis starting in January. Uh, so a couple things uh, you need to know about as themanchurch.com, uh, which brings you this Bible study every Wednesday, even though I know there's ladies that participate when we're doing expository teaching through the Bible, and you're welcome, and we're glad you're here. Uh, but hopefully, we're, if you're married, uh, your husband is being part of this too, so you don't have to work so much on being the spiritual leader of your home. Uh, but anyway, so uh, coming up in December, a couple of man churches that are still out there, and both of these are great ones. Uh, we've got uh, Mark Garnett. Uh, dear friend, and uh, he and I have uh, been teaching uh, small groups for, for many, many years. Uh, he's one of our speakers and teachers, and he'll be speaking at West Mobile Baptist Church, uh, a man church. They're going through uh, the curriculum, one of our curriculums now, uh, and Mark will be there on December the 11th. So make a note of that, that man church at West Mobile Baptist Church. You're welcome to join them, but if you go to church there, obviously you want to do that. So that's December the 11th. Also, my pastor, Mac Brunson, uh, it's it's rare that uh, we get the opportunity for Mac to go out and speak at man churches. Uh, he is a phenomenal preacher teacher. Uh, there's no one that is more qualified than Mac Brunson to unpack the Word of God for you. And you are in for a treat at First Baptist Church Opelika on December the 16th. Uh, he will be there. Uh, now, First Baptist Opelika, they've already gone through two of our curriculums. They'll be ending the second one, and Mac will be there to end that. And then they'll start on our third one coming out in 2022. So Mac Brunson, First Baptist Church, Opelika, on December the 16th. And that'll pretty much wrap up our year. If you want to find man churches that'll be happening in 2022, 
or you want to find details about these two, just go to themanchurch.com, click on uh, events, and you can see all the man churches that are on the calendar. A couple of conferences coming up in 2022. Great idea uh, for gifts uh, for men on your Christmas list. The man event coming up February the 4th. Charles Billingsley leads worship. Hugh Freeze gives his testimony. Uh, I will be teaching alongside my wife, Sherry, who will be there to talk to the men, uh, to give us a perspective from a, from a wife and a mother uh, you know that we don't really know as men. So that's a little something we're trying that we've never tried before that I think will be a unique point of view. So that's February the 4th. That's a Friday night, Olive Baptist Church, Pensacola, Florida. It's just that Friday night. You can spend the rest of the weekend enjoying your time at the beach. Those tickets are on sale now. So grab those and make those Christmas gifts. And then uh, the um, the Pursuit Men's Conference is back again in Dothan, Alabama. We're going back to the Civic Center since uh, the pandemic has, has waned. Praise God for that. Uh, we'll be back in the Civic Center on February the 18th and the 19th. Jonathan Evans will be speaking. I'll be speaking. Andy Blanks from themanchurch.com will be speaking. And Charles Billingsley will also be providing worship for us that weekend as well. So either one of those men's conferences or both of those, grab those tickets. They are on sale now, uh, and you can find those by going to BurgessMinistries.com under Upcoming Events and also TheManChurch.com under Upcoming Events. Just click on it, and you can get your tickets there. All right, let's open in a word of prayer, and let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, it is our time that we are to set aside uh, here in this country to say thank you to you. Now, there's been an attempt, and, and unfortunately a lot of it's been successful, to to take this time of thanksgiving to you and you alone and to turn it into something it was never intended to be. Uh, today we're going we're gonna to have it in its purest form. This was designed for us to be thankful to you and to you alone for your blessings, your grace, your mercy, and your provision. And Lord, we do give thanks to the one and only living God. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's take the, the your Bible and let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, it's interesting we're talking about Thanksgiving coming up because what, what the Apostle Paul is doing now in 1 Corinthians 15 is he is going to remind them of the gospel. Uh, you know, we've been through a lot of stuff in 1 Corinthians, things that Paul was seeing that he didn't like and questions they had asked him that he was willing to answer and to do the best he could to answer them. Uh, and then, of course, we know he begins to, to say things about the order of the church and how worship should be done, all of this inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. But, well, today he is doing something uh, that I have dear friends of mine that remind me of this anytime that you get a chance to preach and teach. And I have some, so many of these men in my life that say, Burgess, when it gets down to it, the bottom line is don't forget the gospel. Take them back to the cross. Remind them of, of the crucifixion. Remind them of the resurrection. Remind them of the gospel. Because if we're not preaching the gospel, then whatever we preach uh, you know, is of some value, but it is not of the highest value. Well, today the Apostle Paul is going to focus on the resurrection. Uh, why is he going to focus on the res- resurrection? I'll tell you. The reason he's going to focus on, on, the, on the resurrection is because, once again, in the church at Corinth, remember the Greeks did not believe in a resurrection. Uh, they, they did not believe that the body would be resurrected. Uh, they did not believe uh, in a resurrection of the dead. As a matter of fact, if you, if you remember our study, and you can find some of our past studies either here on the YouTube channel if you're watching this or go to BurgessMinistries.com and click on Listen, and the audio archives are there. We did a word-for-word expository study of the book of Acts. And if you remember, when Paul mentions the resurrection to the Greeks, in Acts chapter 17, verse 32, write that down. 
Acts chapter 17, verse 32, they laugh at him. Uh, they begin to mock him for talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. Uh, they, they thought he was foolish for talking this because they did not believe in it. Uh, and, and a lot of this came from the fact that they, they, had, um, they had an attitude that um, there was nothing desirable about your human flesh, that the body was basically a prison, that you should be thankful the day whatever God you believed in freed you from it. And you certainly don't want to come back and be resurrected. Uh, so they, they mocked that. Then you also, any of the Jewish people that were hearing Paul's teachings that might have been interested or part of uh, the church at Corinth, if there were any, uh, we know there were two factions in the Jewish faith, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead either. Uh, so, so this has somehow, uh, this attitude had somehow invaded the church and as the Apostle Paul, in uh, his personality, the Apostle Paul says, oh, by the way, I hear that some of you are starting to fade on the resurrection of the dead, and I'm going to correct that, and I'm going to take it head on, uh, which Paul was always very good <laughs> at doing. So when he goes and, and starts to defend the resurrection, he's got a, he's got a strategy that he's going to go through because let, let's, you, you see that he will say this before we're done uh, with our study. The resurrection is the game changer. If Jesus was not resurrected, then, as Paul says, we we should be pitied above everyone. Because if all they did was crucify him and he did not come back from the dead, then he's not who he said he was, and he did not pay the price for our sin, uh, and we are doomed. So, And then, of course, as I've seen many do, as a matter of fact, um, uh, I've I've heard um, a lot of apologists that go out and defend the resurrection, and they say the reason why Gary Habermas is, um, has incredible work, if you want to Google his name, Gary Habermas, he, uh, he, he really um, does an incredible, incredible job of you know, the historical proof of this resurrection because he said, look, if you can prove that the resurrection took place, <laughs> I mean, that separates what we believe from all the religions in the world. Uh, and, and so if, if you look back, the Romans, they, they killed a lot of folks, but they only had one uh, that rose from the dead. And, and, the, and so you're going to see Paul say, I'm going to tell you that the resurrection took place, and, and the fact that the resurrection of Jesus took place, that also means that his proclamation about the resurrection of the dead is also proof because he can do it because he did it for himself. Uh, of course, we know in the, when you look at the triune God, the Holy Spirit actually raised Jesus from the dead, uh, but still the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons, but they're one God. So he, he, first of all, says, I'm going to answer four basic questions to prove that the resurrection happened. And, and, and the first one is you'll find in verses 1 through 19, but then we'll break it down into subtitles. Uh, are, are the dead raised? So he starts out and says, I'm going to answer this question. You're asking me, are the dead raised? And he said, I'm going to give you proof that the answer to that is yes. Uh, and, and he talks about answering this question in verses 1 through 19. We may not get past that today. That may be where we stop today, no matter what, because I've kind of got this put into sections for us to finish out the year. But anyway, first of all, he said, I'll tell you proof number one that uh, the resurrection is real is your salvation. Uh, he, 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 he says this in verse 1 and 2. Look, he said, what I remind you, brothers, and this is 1 Corinthians 15, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which is that you received it, in which you stand today, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you had believed in vain. He said, you know, of, of first 
uh, importance is your salvation is that if you if you're claiming that you have been redeemed by God through Jesus one of the proofs that Jesus was resurrected from the dead is that you actually have been redeemed because a dead savior can't redeem anybody so you you can't even say that you believed what I preached you can't even say that you made a, a proclamation of repenting of your sin and leaving authority in yourself and placing your authority in Christ and if that's what you have declared that you have been redeemed by God's grace through Jesus if Jesus did not raise himself from the dead, then you have not been redeemed. So proof number one is that you all are walking around telling everybody you've been redeemed. Well, if you've been redeemed, the only way you can be redeemed is if this Savior that was crucified actually rose from the dead. If he didn't, then he's not Lord and he's not Savior. And, and you've heard a lot of people talk about this before. You know, uh, human beings tend to try to find this middle ground, you know, where I'm, I, 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 historically I, I kind of sound like a doofus, if I think this person of Jesus didn't exist, but at the same time, I kind of want to live my life any way I want to, so I want somehow to acknowledge Jesus, and I kind of want to, I kind of want to talk about him being a good teacher, and kind of want to talk about him being a good person, and of course, I'm gonna cast him more like a hippie than a, a lord and, and king of kings. Uh, but at the same time, I get myself caught in kind of a trap of what Paul's talking about. Jesus didn't give you that option. Jesus gave no option for you to think that he wasn't 100% man and 100% God. He never gave that option. So either, as Paul's pointing out, either you have been redeemed by a Savior that, uh, that was God and was man and went to the cross and was crucified and died, but then rose on the third day. If that didn't happen, then Jesus is a scam. There's no way for you to have him and reject the resurrection. That's impossible because now he's not a good teacher. He's... He's certainly not a good person because he's lying, uh, and he, he certainly can't do anything to save you. So that was proof number one, the actual salvation. Proof number two, the Old Testament scriptures. Look what he, look what he says in, in verses three and four. He said, for I delivered to you as first importance, and I would underline that, underline that, for I delivered to you as first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now, be careful, because remember, we talked about this last week, is they don't have the New Testament yet. Uh, there, there's parts of it that have been finished, very hard to find copies of it. Uh, the Old Testament scrolls are expensive. Uh, they're available, but hard to find. We don't have a bunch of Corinthians sitting around with a copy of the Bible on their laps. So when he says according to the Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's not talking about the New Testament, uh, because he, he's saying that the Old Testament said verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So what, what does he mean by, by the of, 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 of first importance? Why, why is he saying that? He says, I deliver to you as of first importance. What does he mean by that? We need to take a note of this because this is important. Um, I guess so because Paul said it was, Rick. But the gospel is the most important thing that, the, that has ever been taught in the history of the world, okay? The gospel is the most important message that the church has ever proclaimed. Now, right now, you can go to a lot of churches, and they talk about a lot of things, and what Paul was saying is if they're not talking about the gospel, it's meaningless. Now, what, what does he mean by that? Be careful, because if you don't, if you don't watch out in some of the, uh, the modern churches of the day, is you'll find a lot of talk about social work, 
but you won't find a lot of talk about the gospel. Uh, like, like you know, these these people that hang around and hang around and hang around, and they do good things, and that's great. I'm glad we do. But Paul is saying, if, but if I don't give you the gospel, then I what I've done has been meaningless, because I, I heard it. I've heard it said before uh, by by a number of of teachers, and I, I heard it said this way one time, and I believe it was by Adrian Rogers. He said, though we should go help people, and we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Be real careful that you're not going out and just making people more comfortable as they go to hell. He went to hell, but he wasn't hungry. He went to hell, but he, but, but, but he or she got water finally. Uh, they went to hell, cause, but they, they, they were able to have sewage, but they still went to hell. Uh, they were able to have clothes on them, but they still went to hell. They were able to get a vaccine, but they still went to hell. Uh, we were there to do dental work for them for free, but they still went to hell. And so what, what Paul is, uh, is saying is, of the utmost importance, when we come on the ground and we begin to interact with people, the most important thing that we're supposed to bring is the gospel. And he said, I taught this of the utmost importance. you got to get this right. If you haven't got the gospel, you can give and you can work and you can build and you can fix and you can do all these things, and they are certainly good. But i got news for you. Lost people can do those things too. And they do. They don't do it as much as people. They, they say they do it more than they actually do, but uh, they claim there doesn't. you don't have to be a follower of Christ to do good works, even though those that are not followers of Christ don't have much of a mandate to do it. But where we mess up is we get caught up in doing the social work, which is important, but it's not of the utmost importance. The utmost importance is i got to give you Jesus. If I don't give you Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, then I haven't really given you anything. So, uh, so that that's one you and you you see this a lot. I'm I'm still trying to I'm still trying to earn the right. I do this with the show, earn the right to share the gospel. But at some point, I've earned the right. I mean, share it. I mean, how how long am I how long am I going to be here in this community trying to get to know everybody? I know them. It's time. Uh, and and that's what Paul is saying. Where's the urgency? Have you pushed this? Because a lot of times you see a lot of work done in the name of Jesus where all the things I just mentioned are up front in the Gospels. I hear it back here at the end. Or it may never, we may never even get to that. And, uh, and see, that if you ever want to tell them why you would come from where you are and even do the work, the reason why we're here is because of the Gospel. Because, frankly, if it weren't for the Gospel, I wouldn't go do any of it. I'm just being transparent with you. I'm not that good a person. Uh, I go because Jesus told me to. But while I'm there, I want to talk about Jesus because that's the only reason why I'd be there to begin with. I don't have any desire to go build houses. I, I couldn't care less about that. Uh, I, the, I, I do it because I hope there'll be an opportunity to share the gospel. Do I do it because it's kind? Yeah, that's great. But I probably wouldn't go do it if I wasn't told to by Jesus. You know, if, if this thing is all, it doesn't matter, and there's no Jesus, and there's no gospel, and God hasn't redeemed all of us, and we all better get ours because we're going to be dead soon, uh, I probably wouldn't be wasting my time on that stuff. Because uh, really, if you think about it, I mean, why would you even care if it's all about you? So, so many times the example is that we do these things, but these things should not be the utmost of importance. Social work is good, but the gospel cannot be absent from it. If it is, it's meaningless. And uh, so, and what Paul is saying is, we've got the greatest message the world has ever known, and uh, and he says so. So we we need to know. Uh, uh, that uh, that this is uh, the message that God has given us, and it's the greatest message 
that has ever been known. So what are some of the, the things that we also see in Scripture that he talks about according to Scripture? Because he uses that. He said, look, you've seen this in Scripture. What, where are some of the places that, that he's talking about? It, it's, that's why it's important to know the entire Bible, because the entire Bible is about Jesus, not just the New Testament. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And the reason why is I, 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 there's some men in here now doing the Bible study, for those of you who can't see them. About, about where Jerry is, I stood and talked to a man who came to know Christ in the Old Testament. And you know why he said he came to know Christ only in the Old Testament? Because he was Jewish and was never allowed to read the New Testament. And he said, I'd heard people talking about Jesus, but I wasn't allowed to read the, Old, the New Testament. I wasn't allowed to. And it's just what Paul's talking about. He said, so I came to believe that Jesus was Messiah because I heard all the things that people claimed that Jesus did and I knew that all those things had been talked about in the Old Testament. He said, I went to my rabbi and I said, this is not a people, this is a person, talking about Isaiah. He said, you told me that Isaiah is talking about the suffering of the Jewish people. That's not, this, is not a, this is not a people, this is a person. And you know what he knew? That he knew the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And he said, I watched everything these Christians told me that Jesus did and the timeline in which he did them. And I noticed because I knew the sacrificial system that Jesus was fulfilling what had to be done to sacrifice a lamb. He followed it hour by hour to the letter. And I realized that he was fulfilling that he was the lamb of God because he was following the sacrificial system that I knew from the old Testament. Now has the sacrificial system been fulfilled? Yes. But if you know the sacrificial system, Paul says you should see this is exactly what Jesus did. The Old Testament has been screaming about him. And he said, so that, that's another, and it points to Jesus' sacrifice, and it points that he will be resurrected. Now, if you remember, turn, take, take your Bible right now and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Let's go to Matthew. The book of Matthew, uh, and, and go to uh, Matthew 12. Matthew 12, and then let's look at to verse 38. Matthew 12, and let's go to verse 38. This is Jesus, okay, talking to the scribes. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You remember this three nights and three days, this Jonah thing God was telling you about my father? That's telling you what I'm going to do. And, and so you're saying, so you, this is what Paul's saying. He said, the resurrection of Jesus has been talked about, and we see it in the story of Jonah. Now, I want to I want to touch on that just a little bit because I've had people before, because Paul's also going to compare uh, the the return of uh, Christ's resurrection to this term first fruits. So, so look look what he says when in in uh, in verse three, he said, "For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance." accordance with scriptures. Now look at four. 
that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, so so one of the one of the things that you you find is that that people I've had debate before saying, well, if you look at the calendar, it really wasn't three days and three nights, but it was because this is where we mess up on that. And I've had people call the show and do this. And those of you who don't know, I do a radio show too. And they'll say, if you look at it, hey, that's not three days and three nights. No, not, not on our calendar it's not, but on the Jewish calendar it was. See, he's saying three days and three nights based on how the Jewish people counted days, not on how we count days. See, that's once again us trying to act like that Jesus rose out of a generation of Americans. Uh, you know, and that the, that the Western world is the center of the universe. It's not. Uh, when he's talking about three days and three nights, he's talking about how they kept the clock as Jewish people. And so remember, so when you say, well, where does the Old Testament declare his resurrection on the third day? He pointed to Jonah. And then Paul compared, and you'll see this later in the, it's actually in verse 23. He says Christ's resurrection is the first fruits. And the reason why I'm telling you this now, because this is the three-day, three-night thing. The first fruits in Jewish custom was presented to God on the day following the Sabbath after Passover. Now, if you want to find out where you can see that, uh, Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14. And, of course, he's going to mention this first fruits thing in verse 23 in this chapter, but, but it's important to do it now because he's talking about uh, this, uh, the, the sign of Jonah. Since the Sabbath must always be the seventh day, that's the day after the Sabbath, must be the first day of the week, which we know that is Sunday, or as we call it, the day of our Lord's resurrection. And see, if you look at how the Jewish calendar kept time with the Passover, when it started and when it ended, this does give us the three days that, that are required by the sign of Jonah. Uh, on the Jewish calendar, he was in the earth for three full days and three full nights. Apart from the Feast of First Fruits, there were other prophecies of the Messiah's resurrection in the Old Testament as well. If you want some of those, uh, go to Psalms. Uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 16, 8 through 11. Uh, of course, Isaiah is full of stuff. Uh, Isaiah 53 is famous uh, of all the prophecies that it, he is talking about that show us Christ. That's Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. Also, Psalms 2, 7, just some others where you'll see this talked about as well. So Paul is coming back, and he's saying, look, this has been talked about in the, the New Testament, and Jesus did exactly what the New Testament said had to be done. So what, what was the other proof that Jesus actually rose from the dead? What's another one? Eyewitnesses. So now he goes to eyewitnesses. Look, look what he says next um, uh, in verses 5 through 11. And this is really cool to me, 5 through 11. He says, first of all, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, that's the rest of the disciples and, uh, and apostles now. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then I'm going to get into what he says in 8 because it's so moving. All right, so let's, let's run this list. So he says, all right, let's go eyewitnesses, okay? And if you want to find the eyewitnesses, uh, write down some of these uh, uh, verses and chapters uh, in Acts. Acts one twenty two, Acts 2.32, Acts 3.15, and Acts 5.32, these are all these people he's listing, the things that happened. This is Luke saying, Here, here's all the people that saw him. So he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to his half-brother James. Remember James uh, and talks about this. James goes from, I think my brother's crazy, to he sees him after the resurrection. And the resurrection, as it would be for me, a game changer, 
Now James goes from he doubts his brother and wishes his brother he's embarrassing our family to he tells you in James 1 what? He's a servant of his Lord and Savior, Jesus. So when you see uh, your half-brother walk up after you knew he was crucified and dead and says, by the way, I was who I said I was, James was in. So he, James was an eyewitness, uh, and, uh, and, and you see this in um, John 7, 5, uh, doc, uh, documents this encounter with James, also Acts 1, 14. And then we hear Paul say, look, he also appeared at one time to 500 people, 500 people after the resurrection, and some of them have died, but there's a lot of them that are still alive. You go talk to them yourself. So he said, I don't know how this, this doubt of the resurrection has crept in to this church. He says, but, but, but these are eyewitnesses, and he saves the most unlikely for last, and we're going to spend some time on this. We're going to wallow in this, and I hope that we will learn what I have learned from this. The, this this next thing about Paul talk about himself, God has used this to radically change my life. Radically change my life. So he gives all these eyewitnesses, and who does he say for last? Himself. He saves himself for last. And this, this is absolutely beautiful, okay? He says, last of all, as one, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Now let's listen to verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, this, this is beautiful, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why this is beautiful. When, when you think about Paul saving himself for, for, for last, one of the greatest witnesses of the resurrection was Paul himself, for as an unbeliever, he was soundly convinced that Jesus was dead. That's what he was trying to do. He was persecuting the church, and when he went and jailed and martyred the followers of Jesus— and when he finally saw that Jesus had been crucified, Paul thought, my work is done. Now I'm going to go get the rest of them. But then Jesus appeared to him. And the radical change in his life, a change that brought him persecution and suffering, is certainly evidence that the Lord had indeed been raised from the dead. And Paul made it clear that his salvation was purely an act of God's grace. But that grace worked in and through him as he served the Lord. Now, there's a couple of theories on why Paul says to one that was untimely born. What does he mean by that? And finally appeared to me one who was untimely born. Now, some believe, which I don't think is, is as strong. I think the, the second opinion is actually stronger. Some believe this is just him saying that I'm untimely born, meaning I, I really would like to have been born when I— because remember he said that he would— Paul said he would go to hell if his people, the Jewish people, would be redeemed. That if it cost him his salvation, he loved his people that much. And some say that he, he doesn't want to be, he, he realizes that the time that he was born in, that he's going to be dead before the Jewish people finally acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. That's one theory. I don't think that one is as strong, just personally. Of course, you know, my opinion means nothing. 
But but the one that I think is more likely, because if you look at the original Greek here, and, and this one comes from John Phillips, and I thought it was pretty beautiful. If you look at the Greek word here that he's using about this one who had was untimely born, it really means an, an abortion, like an aborted offspring. This is the word that he's using, and and what was what's 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 interesting about that is that what he's really talking about not that he was prematurely born like an aborted child, but he was belatedly born. He was born too late. He wanted to be born again sooner. Why? You'll, you'll see this. Because he wouldn't have all this persecution baggage hanging over him. He wished he had got it quicker. Because he really, really, the, the adversary is really banging on him about all the people he martyred and jailed when he was wrong. He was passionately wrong. Which is why, because he was, man, he, he had zeal for persecuting the church. And he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do, but he was wrong. And really what he's talking about is, if only I had been born again sooner, I would have done less damage. Now, I'm sure none of us can relate to that. If I had just repented of my sin and left the authority of myself, and I would have devoted myself to Jesus sooner, how much damage would have been avoided that I've already done? Man, I can sadly relate to that. I think of the damage that's still out there because sin always mattered. Even though I've been redeemed, I think about the damage that I've done. Some of it that on this side of heaven can't be undone. I think to myself, I was untimely born. If I'd just been born again, if I just listened when my grandmother was telling me that I needed to change the way I was living, if I just listened when my mama said that she doubted my salvation and my claim of salvation because I was waging so much war on society and living as such a dark, twisted man, if I just listened to everyone sooner, how many innocent people would not have been damaged? And this is what Paul's struggling with. See, see, you have to understand this. For Paul to say that he's the least of the apostles, you have to understand what resume he had. The man that's saying he's the least of the apostle was a trained Jewish rabbi, was a cosmopolitan Greek scholar, a Roman citizen, a fearless ambassador for Christ once he was redeemed, and then is the church's foremost missionary and theologian Peter may have denied him. Thomas may have doubted him, but Paul was the only one who persecuted him. I martyred Christians. They didn't do that. Peter might have abandoned him. Thomas might have doubted him. John might have run off, but none of them martyred the followers of Jesus. I did. So I consider myself the least of them. He had the blood of Christian martyrs on his hands. But then he says in verses 10 and 11, this is beautiful. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. You know what he's saying? Grace is transformative. Let me tell you about a transforming grace. Has the grace of God transformed you? Are you unrecognizable 
for who you were before Jesus saved your life? Paul says, he transformed me into something completely different. You don't believe that? The persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ went on after being transformed to be the great apostle of the Gentiles. He wrote the greater part of the New Testament. And you know what he's saying? If you don't believe Jesus is who he says he is, if you don't believe that he resurrected himself from the dead, one of the things you might want to look out, look at before you make that decision, look what he did to me. Look what he did to me. And you're saying, well, Rick, I don't know. What, I mean, are you, are you sure that, that this is referring to the fact that he persecuted the church? Turn over with me. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. So in Acts chapter 7, we know that the stoning of Stephen was taking place. Okay, so let's look up to 7 first. So here's Stephen, and Stephen has been preaching, and, and we know that Stephen is what? He's full of grace. He's full of power. And, and, and we know he's full of faith. He's full. He, he, he's, just, he's, just, he's just letting it go. Now, don't forget, too, for those of you that think, well, I can never do the, anything great in the church. I'm glad you think that of yourself because at least you're in a pretty good place. But that's really not true. Do you realize that Stephen, and, and in the Bible, he's the only person that we see that gets this kind of resume, that, uh, that he was a, a man that was full of grace, he was full of faith, he was full of power, he was full, he was full of love, okay? And, and so you, you see this, full of the Holy Spirit, all these attributes about Stephen. Do you know what his job at the church was? Food ministry. He ran the food pantry. He made sure that the widows and the orphans got the food the church had set aside for. Do you think Stephen ever went up to somebody and says, well, you know, I'm full of grace. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm full of power, and I'm full of faith. I need a job more important than that. No. And you're sitting there thinking because you're the person who sweeps up the fellowship hall, you can't be a great man of God? Well, that's not saying very much about Jesus, is it? And so listen to what we, we read in, in chapter 7. Look at verse 58. They grabbed Stephen because of him standing up for Christ. We know that Jesus is standing at the right hand of God, not sitting because of the way Stephen is preaching. And in verse 58, they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And look at the next line. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who's approving of the execution? Paul. He's there. And you know why he's saying, bring the jackets over here to me? Because if you take your jacket off, you can throw harder. It's hard to throw and kill somebody with stones if you still got your jacket on. So take your jacket off where you can throw harder and come lay this over here by me. I'll watch your jackets. Now listen to what Paul sees next. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So when he's getting stoned to death, he calls for God to be gracious on the people that are stoning him. Who did he learn that from? Jesus. 
on the cross. See, if you go look at the cross, if you want to be thankful tomorrow, if you go look at the cross, you see that both the thieves were mocking Jesus, not just one of them. If you read all the Gospels, they both were. The turning point for one of them is when Jesus says out loud, Father, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. Would that not be weird to you if you were hanging next to a guy that you'd heard was innocent and you know you weren't? And all of a sudden he's crying out to his father not to bring down judgment on these people that would forgive them because they don't really understand uh, the blasphemy in which they are participating. Give them a break. Show them some grace. Well, Stephen, because he's full of grace, he's full of faith, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he's full of power. Well, guess what he does? Because he's a disciple of Jesus. What is he going to do? He's going to act like Jesus. And who saw it? Paul. Listen to what they, chapter 8 says next. And Saul, verse 1, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. And Paul, after seeing this, turns it up even harder on them. But you, you think that when Paul is now telling us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he's the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. You think he ever forgot the way Stephen died? You don't think that was used to get him ready for his encounter with Jesus? See, sometimes God's going to let you suffer for the benefit of somebody else. Stephen plays a role in the ministry of Paul. Because you think Paul ever forgot that? Now, here he is now saying, look, I know what I did. I know what I was forgiven. But here's the part that should be the challenge to every single one of us that are watching this Bible study in the room listening to the Bible study or listening to the audio archive of the Bible study. Listen to what Paul said next. But the grace of God, by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. What about you? When, when, when we look at our lives and we realize that the only way that we were redeemed is by the power of this resurrection that Paul's telling them not to forget, and we know that we could not save ourselves, and we know that Jesus Christ took on human flesh and went to the cross to take the wrath of, of a holy God, you realize that God is holy and his wrath had to be poured out on sin the sin that we caused. Jesus didn't cause it. And now he's going to take on human flesh and be mocked, and he's going to lower himself to washing feet. He's going to lower himself to be mocked and spit on and, and, and just and blasphemed. And then he's going to have the moment in the garden where his capillaries burst, and that human side of him asks his holy father, is there another way to get this done? Because he realizes the cup of God's wrath, which he mentions, is about to be poured out on him instead of us. We deserve it. He's going to take it, and God's wrath in its fullness will be poured out on his son so we can be made fully righteous through him. And then he goes to that cross. He suffers insanely on the cross, not so much the brutality of the cross, even though that's horrible. That is definitely part of it. But mainly, which is why his capillaries are bursting, is the agony 
of taking on God's holy wrath on him. Do you think he ever looks at your life and looks at mine and says, well, I didn't get much of a return on that? What a grace abuser. This guy still walks the lines. This woman still tries to abuse this grace. Paul said, that ain't, that's not me. I know who I was. I know what I did. I know what he forgave, and he's going to get a return on me. And he did. But does he get a return on you? Does he get a return on me? Are we these people that say, hey, hey, Jesus, hey, thank you. Hey, I'm going to pray before the big meal on Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. And I'm going to rush through it because I'm ready to get it and start eating. I'm, I, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm kind of glad we're about to eat, but I wonder if I'm going to stop and think about what you did on the cross and be thankful for that. They thank you that I'm in some country that I'm not starving. I like all this food we got. We got enough to gorge ourselves, and I'm thankful for that. But are you are you going to remember what you have been forgiven? Am I going to remember what I've been forgiven? And am I going to have guts enough to examine my life and say, does Jesus Christ get a return on the grace that He has afforded me? Not to earn my salvation. Not even. Not there's no obligation. But I'm going to tell you what the Apostle Paul is saying, and it's highly convicting. He's saying the reason why I am a proof of the resurrection of Jesus is because the resurrection was so powerful, it changed all of us who have truly been redeemed. And if you hadn't been changed, then you probably haven't been redeemed. That's what he's saying. Because Jesus is just too powerful for that. You know, you know, I could just hear him hollering us. You realize that my brother Peter, you know, and I've always got to walk around. I've always got to be treated like a second-class citizen because I didn't walk with him. I didn't get to three years of the ministry. I was persecuting the church. I Look, I realize that. I'm going to lower myself because I understand that what I have been forgiven. But you know what? It was also that same resurrection that changed me that took Peter from a guy who was afraid of a little girl by the fire that turned into this bold man that Luke tells you about in Acts chapter 4 when he goes from I don't know Jesus to I'm with Jesus, and if you have to kill me, you kill me. That was the resurrection that did that. John, who ran out of his clothes because he wanted to get away when they came to get Jesus, now here's John sitting there. They're boiling him in oil. They're, they're, they're keep trying to martyr him. He's standing there, and he's saying, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this guy was not healed by anybody other than Jesus, and there's no other name under heaven and earth in which anybody can be redeemed, and if that makes you mad enough to kill me, then just kill me. The resurrection changed us. Has it changed you? And, 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 you know, if Paul is making all this up, do you really think that he's going to go on and suffer and be beaten and be jailed and, and then eventually have his head cut off because he's been making this up? That, that's an insane thought. The Apostle Paul had plenty to go back to as opposed to making up a story about Jesus raising himself from the dead and having an encounter with him. Paul had a good life. As a matter of fact, in Philippians, he tells us what? When he was in jail again, he says, really, for the sake of Christ, I've lost everything I had. But I now consider all this, 
all this trained Jewish rabbi, a Greek scholar, Roman citizen. I kind of consider all that to be garbage compared to gaining Christ. You think somebody's going to say something like that and live like that on something they're making up? Do you think when they beat him and drug him outside the city? And and look, the other the other guys that are traveling with him, they come over to him. I mean, uh, Barnabas thinks he's dead. But they've beaten him this time to the point they've killed him. And all of a sudden, Paul sits up, <laughs> gets his breath back, gets up on his feet, goes right back into the city. You think somebody's going to do that that hadn't seen the resurrection? Do you realize how stupid it is to think that this is all made up? I mean, the evidence is glaring, and that's what Paul's trying to tell us. The evidence is glaring. So the question that, that we have to ask is not, did this really happen? Is what's your response to it happening? And has it changed you? Well, let me tell you something. As you head into Thanksgiving tomorrow, or if you're listening to it on Thanksgiving today, whenever you're hearing this, when you bow your head on Thanksgiving I want you to think about this because if you don't have this right, then this above all is worthy to be thankful for. It's worthy of thanksgiving. If, if, if God decided for you and for me that he will never do another thing for us, but he still did the cross and the resurrection, and he's done enough for, it, for us to say thank you every day, all day, for the rest of our days. Because without it, we're doomed. And on my worst day, and I've had bad, bad days, and I know you have too, but on my worst day, I cling to John 16.33. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. When Jesus said, I say this so that you'll have peace, in this world, you will face tribulation, and I feel my days getting fewer and fewer. I've already lived longer than I'm going to live. He said, I say this so that you have peace. In this world, you will face tribulation. But always have joy in your heart on your worst day because I've overcome the world. Jesus has overcome it by the resurrection and we're going to get deeper in chapter 15. I've had the, the honor of doing funerals, and I go to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to get to the end of 15, and Paul's going to be trash-talking death. I mean trash-talking it because of what Jesus did. But today he wanted to be sure that we understood before we go any further that if Jesus Christ has been resurrected, then the resurrection of those who have died really is no big deal. So how dare these people at the church of Corinth doubt the resurrection of the dead? He said, because if Jesus has raised himself, raising you and me won't be any big deal. So yes, there is a resurrection of the dead. But when you are resurrected, or if you're here when he returns, will you be thanking him for the grace that saved you? Or will you be standing in morbid fear of the judgment that is coming on the unredeemed. Either by your earthly death or the return of Jesus, that really is going to happen. And maybe we should start living like we actually believe it. And maybe we should assess our lives and see if the gospel of Jesus Christ is of the utmost importance 
or a second-hand piece of information that we get to if we have time after we've exhausted our energy on all those things that mean nothing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. I, I don't know for those that are there with you already if they hear these prayers, but, um, man, could you just tell Paul, wow, that he did a good job. I know he got a well done from you, but we're all still benefiting from from the the power of you and him. You made a good choice. You made a perfect choice. As, as usual, you make unlikely choices. A man who was so good at persecuting your church, you simply redeem him, and then you turn him around, and you use those same gifts you gave him, but you get them correct, and then he advances your church. And we are thankful for the work that you've done through him. But we take this uh, challenge that you gave the Apostle Paul, and we apply it to our lives today. I don't know the assessment of all the different people out there, Lord. I, I, I know the assessment of that I'm, I'm running through in my life right now. And once again, I find myself being truly grateful, not for turkey and dressing, but thankful for you. Thankful for your redemption. Thankful for your grace. Thankful for your mercy. If you're someone today, you know, you, you stumbled across this because of the way the holidays lined up, you normally don't hear it. Somebody told you about it, and you ran up on this today, and you're like, you know what? I've never been justified. I, 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 don't, I don't believe I've been redeemed. I don't believe I've received God's grace and mercy. Well, the Bible says right now, if you will just simply believe with all the sincerity of your heart, I don't know your sincerity, but God does. And Scripture tells us, not something somebody made up, but Scripture tells us, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you'll believe in your heart, and only you can do that, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, meaning you, you've repented of your sin, you've turned from your sin, and you've turned to Jesus, and you left faith in yourself and your own authority, and you've placed faith in Jesus and his authority, and you believe in the resurrection and that his Father rose him from the dead on the third day, that you will be saved. But you're going to need help, and we're here to help you. We're here to try to grow you, but first, for you to be sanctified, you got to be justified. And maybe you just ask Jesus right now, say, change me. I repent of my sin, and I want to belong to you, and I believe that you redeemed me. I believe in this. It's the kind of belief where my faith takes action. I will follow you. If today's the first day you've done that or maybe the first day you figured it out, if you need help, I'll help you. Just reach out to me, rick at burgessministries.com, rick at burgessministries.com. I'd be more than happy to help you as any way that I can. Jesus, thank you for our time together, and we are thankful for you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us.